For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, happy Saturday, everybody. A little bonus episode on a weekend. Figured if ever there was a time to squeeze in one more episode of our show, it would be the weekend before the trade deadline. I don't know about tomorrow. That feels like we're asking a lot. But trade deadline Less than five days from right now. In fact, the uh, actual deadline is uh, four days and 23 hours from the moment that I'm recording this show. I don't know when you guys are going to be taking it in, but we're getting close. And so, you know, we've done a couple of shows in this feed. However, again, you're taking in the content live on YouTube or Twitter after the fact on one of those two sites, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, all the traditional pod networks. However, you're taking in the content. First of all, thank you. Second of all, like, rate, subscribe. But third of all, you guys have seen the two previous shows, I assume. We did one uh, like two weeks ago where I gave my first four names. We did one last week or like uh, a little more than a week ago, I think, where I threw four more names in the hopper. And what I thought I'd do today is kind of wrap up the whole thing, put a bow on it. This idea of trade deadline stashes, which I went into a little bit of detail on on the first of those two previous shows, but I don't think I took as much time with the last one because there was other stuff I wanted to sort of figure out how to scoop it all into one. So let's start at the top. First of all, what's the point? What's the point of a trade deadline stash? The point is to try to get out in front of somebody who can take a big leap forward. Typically... A trade deadline stash roster slot is not for somebody who takes a small step forward. Because for a couple of reasons. Number one, like if there's a guy who's just outside the cut line who moves just inside the cut line, this is not a difference maker for your basketball team. This is not someone you need to squat on for, I mean, now we're close enough to the deadline where squatting on someone like that for four or five days is fine. That's easy. And if they're playable anyway, whatever. But typically, the main purpose with this idea is to find someone who's not really playing very much, who can step into a gigantic role. Someone who goes from being well outside the cut line to inside of it, or someone who goes from being just outside the cut line to being a big-time difference maker. So this idea of, like, could someone go from, you know, 125 rank to 50? That's the kind of guy you're looking for. Could someone go from 200 to 100? That's also a notable one. Or 175 to 100. Someone who's not on the radar, who then becomes a startable asset the rest of the year. Or someone who is barely on the radar, who becomes a must-start every day, you know, dominate your opponents kind of dude. And the reason that's why you do it is because it's going to take up a roster slot. You're, in a lot of cases, picking up someone who's not producing... You're putting a losing slot on your roster. 
with the goal of having some sort of payoff in the future. You're sacrificing in the short or small to medium, medium term for a big win in the long term. How do you find a player like that? Well, typically, you look at teams that are sellers at the deadline, and you try to figure out what might get either A, left behind, or how does a piece that they sell off fit in a new location. That's kind of like the starting point. Good example. Last year, we all knew the Hornets were going to have to move Mason Plumley. There was absolutely no reason why he should be there. So then you're like, all right, there's a seller. They have a veteran. They can get something for him. They didn't get nearly as much as they probably could have. Whatever, because everybody knew they were desperate to just take anything. Say anything. And then you look to see who's behind him. And it was Mark Williams and Nick Richards. And they ended up going into kind of like a rotation of centers on that club. But this is the general idea. And you can do this kind of thing annually and try to figure out who are the most likely to be winners in those scenarios. Now, guys don't always get traded. We've been thinking, personally, like, Zach Levine basically got shut down in November. It's February, and he's still a member of the Chicago Bulls. You never know. Seemed like he was going to get traded any day. Oh, he's on the block. November, he's on the block. And then it was like, oh, he's got a sore foot. We're going to shut him down for a month. Then he turned an ankle. We're going to shut him down for three more weeks. Oh, no, he's sore again. They're not getting the deal they want, so they're just... You know, plugging along here. Anything can happen. Or, like, in a flash, Terry Rozier, gone, out of Charlotte. Sometimes it happens overnight. Sometimes it takes a freaking season. Sometimes if you're John Collins, it takes three seasons to get traded. So you're weighing all of these factors at the same time. What are the odds a guy actually gets moved? If he does get moved, what are the odds that the guy behind him sees a large enough jump? There's so much that goes into this that when you now look at the list, which I think... And I probably did this backwards. So looking back for next season, try to remind me if I don't remember this myself. This is probably the show I should have done first, where you take all the perspective names and you put them into a lotto drum and you wheel them all around and you just look at them and say, does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And that's what we're doing on today's show. We're going to look at all the names, basically. A fairly comprehensive list. I think I've got 12 all together here. And that's not, let me be very clear, you do not need to stash all 12 guys. Nor could you, because that would be your entire roster. Our goal here is to try to find the best odds of making some sort of jump forward. And then, is it going to even be worth it? So, with that intro out of the way, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, this special bonus weekend edition. I am Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers, over on social media. Many of you have found me over the last day uh, because I got a, a quote tweet from Balsack Sports. I did not think that was coming at any point in my life, but here we are. So that's kind of fun. Um, again, that's at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Again, please do take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe, however you're taking in the content. Also, please uh, check out the, the show description for our Trade Deadline live show link. Trade Deadline live show link. I just threw it in the chat room. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it there as well. That show is starting 7.30 a.m. Pacific time on Thursday, February the 8th. We are the earliest show going live, and we got a five-hour show all going. Please take a second to pre-like that one. We're up to 671 pre-likes on that show. 
Uh, I didn't. I thought we. I thought we'd have trouble to get to 500. Now I'm shooting for 750 before the show starts. It's just a really important way for us to grow as a website. And so whatever you guys can do to help on that front, I am extremely appreciative. If you are watching live and you have a question on a, a player, a possible stash, feel free to throw that in the chat room. If you're asking other stuff, I'm not going to get to it. Only about stashes. That's what the chat room is for today. The comment section, same thing. Let's really try to keep this focused on the task at hand, and that is figuring out, is it even worth it to stash somebody leading up to this trade deadline? And if so, who might they be? I'm going to make that board bigger for those of you that are watching with us here so you can make sure to see the names that I'm bringing up. But let's get into the slideshow. First player on the list, Onyeka Okongwu, who we talked about on a previous show. I am going to be repeating myself a little bit on today's episode, so if you watch the other ones, you might end up fast-forwarding two or three minutes at a time. But I'm going to break down each one of these, and there's 12 guys that I'm about to go through. And I'll tell you why it makes any sense. Okongwu makes a lot of sense as somebody to have on your team right now. But that's not even really the question, because... He's number 89 on the season. This is a guy who's been rosterable and startable uh, because his total's value sits inside the top 100. But if you're not a fan of, like, the plotters, which is technically what his job's been so far, he's number 114 on a per-game side. That's sitting right on the borderline of 12-team every night startable. And he's actually been on the way up the last two or three games. He fell into the, like, 130s prior to that. So all season long, I had to come on these shows and remind everybody he's a hold. And now, and the fact that he's actually had two or three good games in a row has made this a much tougher thing to do. But I actually think he's, he's a buy leading up to the deadline. Meaning, if you've got someone else who uh, is maybe worth just a tiny bit more, like a Buddy Heald or... Ah, man, if Vivica Zubats was healthy, he would have been a really good name for this. Uh, Derek Lively is an interesting name here. He's hurt also, so that also makes this kind of complicated. Uh, John Collins is on a little bit of a warm stretch. Dante DiVincenzo is on a very warm stretch with the Knicks all kind of banged up right now. If you've got somebody that maybe you don't think is going to close the season super aggressively, that would be a name you could consider giving up for Okongwu because he's not going to be on waiver wires. That's the problem here. This isn't a guy you can just pick up. He falls into the, the category of, Okongwu does, guys that are already borderline everyday playable that if Clint Capella, that's the, the pairing we need here, if Capella gets moved, Okongwu jumps from being borderline to being probably top 50. Hell, maybe better if his block rate comes back up at all, which is it's much lower this year. It's been a little better lately. But both percentages good, which is, I mean, that's like the extreme ticket for a center to have value is to be a positive in both percentages, field goal and free throw. But he just needs more than 24 minutes right now. That's where he's stuck. Capella gets out of the way. That goes into the low 30s almost by default. And he's a behemoth at that point because now he's also getting all the playing time with the guys that are going to feed him lobs day in, day out, minute in, minute out. But again, because he's had a couple good ball games. It's harder, I think, to get him right now. You're not going to be able to pick him up. And so this is a guy where, and I can't put percentages on it. I wish I could. I wish I had the the you know inside info to say, oh, well, there's like a 20% chance Capella gets moved. I don't know. I don't know. 
But the nice thing about Okongwu is even if you trade for him and you give up somebody a slightly better than him and they don't move Capella, at least you're getting somebody back who you can play during the rest of this season. Next name on the list is Ayodesumu. This is another really easy one. I'm starting with the easy ones because they're my favorites. And for Ayo, this was one that kind of popped up like a week ago. And we've been talking uh, all season on this show about how Ayo was two players away from being a fantasy asset. One of them, being Zach Levine, has basically been out the entire season but he needed one other guy down, whether it was DeMar or Caruso, and lately it's been Patrick Williams. And because all of those guys are hurt right now, Dasumu has been putting up tremendous numbers the last two weeks. He's been awesome. And so again, this is a guy who's already going to be rostered. I don't even really know how you get your hands on him, because whoever has him right now is probably smart enough to know that this is a guy you hold through the trade deadline, because if Chicago moves Levine, which sounds like they have a decent shot of doing, but hard to do so because of his giant contract, and if they cash in, say, on an Alex Caruso, then DeSumo is probably just starting the rest of the way. Yeah, I know. And then DeMar, we know, is possibly on the block. There's a lot of guys that could kind of clear out here to give DeSumo this incredible run. He's been top 40 over the last two weeks. Yeah, he's shooting 60%, which... Again, that's not a thing that's going to hold. But even if that drops back down to 50, which is where he's been so far, I know, he's a really good, efficient player. That still puts him well inside the top 100. And a guy that prior to a couple of weeks ago was a little bit of an afterthought. Not entirely, because the minutes were okay. He just wasn't really getting the touches. And that's why he needs these guys to get out of the way. So Levine being out of the way got him minutes. Patrick Williams out of the way got him consistency. And then the confidence kind of comes with that because they're trying to play fast. You just get him in there and he's starting to take 11 shots a game instead of like six or seven. And that'll actually be the case for a few of the guys we talk about on today's podcast, how it's not always about just the minutes, but also the touches. So this one, just like Okongwu, if they happen to be on a waiver wire, which I don't think they are in your league, but you can check if you're in a less competitive league, it's possible that they're still out there. Intermediate and expert leagues, there's no chance they're on the waiver wire. Okongwu is someone you try to buy on. Dasunmu, I, I honestly got, I have no idea what it would take to get him right now. And I don't have the most confidence in the world that the Bulls are going to trade two players at the deadline. That I mean, that's a big thing. Remember when Orlando, like, they blew it all up at the same time? You almost never see that happen. So I don't think I would go out and try to trade for Io. He just sort of has to be on this list because otherwise it's not a comprehensive list. So let's keep his discussion a little shorter. Let's go to the next guy. And that's Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley, who, his fantasy game, I hate it. I hate it. Absolutely detest his fantasy game. This is a guy who, over the last two weeks, is averaging 15-8 and eight and is outside the top 200. On, by the way, not horrible percentages. 61 and 75 are the splits there. But he, doesn't hit any, he didn't hit any threes over that stretch. He has one assist, and he has a combined .4 steals and blocks. But... Here's the thing. That's not a perfectly accurate representation of what his fantasy game is. Marvin Bagley is, historically, a high-scoring, decent-rebounding, okay field goal percent, bad free-throw shooter who doesn't get that many defensive stats, but if he saw full starters' minutes, they would be 
acceptable. Probably like a steal and like 0.6 blocks or something like that. Or like, you know, 0.8 and 0.9 or something. And not great, but not horrendous. And we've seen it in Washington. You know, 24 minutes a game here, which is like the second, almost the second most he's averaged in his career. If you go all the way back with Sacramento, he had some stretches where he was at like 25, 26 minutes. And he was not a nine category guy in those, mostly because his free throw percent was uh, at 69. It, in Washington, it's at, six, it's at 66 right now. Lately, his more recent career, last couple of seasons, he's been more like mid-70s. Hard to know what that would be. But he's never, in his career, consistently played 30 minutes of ballgame. Let's just assume that the free throw percent stays at 70, and the field goal percent comes back down to, you know, 52 to 54 range, which I think is more predictable more ex- uh, expected I mean I know he's at like 60 this year I don't think that that's something that's going to stick it helps that he's not taking any three-pointers this season because he's bad at them but you know who knows if he ends up becoming a chucker on this Washington team or again the nice thing about Bagley despite the fact that I don't really like his fantasy game that much if he gets 30 minutes he's going to take like somewhere between 12 and 15 shots a game you know he didn't mess around out there When he's on the floor, he's firing. And that right now is on a team that still has Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole and Tyus Jones. And anyone or a combination of those guys could also be gone. But of course, this one for Bagley comes down to whether or not Daniel Gafford is still with the Wizards after the deadline. I love Daniel Gafford. You guys know that about me. Um, he's been an incredible fantasy value this year. He was a member of the old man squad. Drafted at 100, he's number 34 in 9-cat. He's played in 43 games, has a bad rap for missing a lot of ball games, but he does the whole Anthony Davis bit where he goes in the locker room and then, you know, has stomach cramps and then comes back out, or I don't know what the hell's going on. But anyway, he's on a really good contract, too. His agent should probably be fired. I don't know who that is. But Daniel Gafford is only making about $13 million a year for two more seasons. This is a really good, like, field goal percent, rim-protecting, rim-running big man making not much. So that's a contract that, even though there's two more years on it, is fairly movable. There are a bunch of teams out there that could use a competent big man. I I keep talking about the Dallas Mavericks on these shows because that's the one that jumps into my head. Uh, But there are others. It'll cost him, though, because Gafford's good, and again, he's on that nice contract. So, like, his contract could even push through some of this Wizards rebuild if they didn't want to move him. But let's say they do. Let's say somebody offers up a first or first and a second or something like that. The Wizards would be crazy not to take a first and a second as part of a rebuild. Like, you want to get first-round picks. That's what you're trying to collect as you rebuild a team because typically those are the guys that have the better shot of being difference making actual real life basketball players let's say somebody comes out of the woodwork with a first and then it's just bagley against the universe because the wizards don't have any other centers on that roster and we saw it gafford missed what two games back in the middle of january marvin bagley just joined the team and played 39 minutes in the next ball game he had 20 and 11 with five defensive stats and he went 0 for 5 at the free throw line Oof. 
There are holes. Make no mistake, there are gaping holes in Marvin Bagley's fantasy game, and it's why I've never suggested putting him on a roster until this moment. Because if he plays 30-plus minutes, he's just simply going to be on the floor long enough to average a pretty meaty double-double, and then anything above that is just kind of gravy. And that makes him one of my preferred, believe it or not, stashes, because I think there's at least a marginal shot that Gafford gets moved, and if he doesn't, there's just like, there's no gray area with this one. If he gets moved, Bagley makes a huge leap forward from being top 200 to being top 100 or better. And if he doesn't, you cast him off into the ocean. It's easy peasy. You know, no fuss, no muss. Bilal Kulabali. Oh, I've taken a lot of heat for saying he was not a player that I wanted anywhere near my roster back in November. And in December, and in like half of January, but about two and a half weeks ago, those of you that follow this show closely, I said, now is the time. If you want to stash Koulibaly, now's the time. With like a week and a half to go in January, January 20th or thereabouts, I said, okay, it's fine. But I'll remind you all of the things that I've already said about him. I like his steals. I like his blocks. I'm okay with his field goal percent. I hate his free throw shooting. I don't like his general lack of aggression on offense. His rebounding is fan. His assists are fan. So, to get Koulibaly to actual fantasy value, I believe the Wizards need to move not only Tyus Jones, but also somebody who takes a bunch of shots, meaning either Jordan Poole or Kyle Kuzma. If Kuzma and Poole are still on the Wizards after the trade deadline, I don't think Koulibaly hits top 115 or top 125 or better. I don't think it can... I just... I don't see how he gets there without taking a dozen shots. And we saw it two games back. Jordan Poole missed it with a late scratch. It was a late scratch with a cold. Koulibaly got out there, took a bunch of shots, and had a really nice fantasy game. Scored a bunch, had some steals at a block, and that's the combination you need. But without the points, and not that many three-pointers, and not that many boards, and not that many assists, he's a 3 and D guy without the three. Just D. Now he's Matisse Thibault without the three-pointers. And much lower defensive stats. He's Herb Jones without any scoring or rebounding. And that's just, unfortunately, it's not quite enough. And also a really bad free throw percent, which those other guys don't have. He needs to be better than those other 3 and D guys because he can't shoot free throws yet. But he's got to be on this stash board because if Kyle Kuzma, who sounds like he's the more likely of the volume guys in Washington to get moved, if Kuzma gets moved, then there's enough shots for everybody. And not only Koulibaly, it's more for, you know, depending on whoever else is left, probably a lot more for Jordan Poole if he's still around. Let's say Tyus Jones gets moved also. Uh, Corey Kispert, who's not on this list, is another guy that needs probably two dudes out of the way. He's just not that interesting. Kispert's not that interesting. He gets a bunch of three-pointers, and, you know, you're sort of attacking one category. But, I mean, honestly, if this was a truly comprehensive list, then he probably should have been, like, the honorable mention right behind Koulibaly for the Wizards, Because if Kuzma gets moved and Tyus Jones gets moved, Kispert's probably the next guy in. Unless they go DeLon Wright. Eh, I mean, maybe. They might need a veteran to sort of mellow things out. I just don't know how many pieces the Wizards can reliably sell off at this point. Who would be left? What are you? I mean, I guess you could sell everybody, but could you even feel the team at that point? play a bunch of guys in the wrong position they learn 
poorly. They won't develop right. All right, let's keep moving here. I We got a lot of names to cover, and I'm piddling along. And there is Jordan Poole. I threw him in there because he's not a traditional stash because, look, I mean, he's rostered in still far too many leagues considering how bad he's been this year. He's, you know, top 170, but he's still 86% rostered. I put him on here, and I put him on a, a by-low tweet the other day because, look, it's harebrained. But hear me out on this. It's I don't think this is a hot take. This is like this is really legitimately thought through. So please hear me out on this one. Jordan Poole's been awful the entire season. Anybody that has him is sick of him. And and they might be right, by the way, in what I'm about to say. They probably don't think anything is going to change between now and the end of the season for Poole. It's possible. He just continues to do the same general crap. That he's done all year, which is take 14 and a half shots, miss most of them, make bad decisions. <laughs> he's like a he's like a college sophomore on spring break. Make bad decisions, Jordan Poole. Uh, 16 and a half points, two threes, three and a half assists, and a steal. That's basically the number. And then the free throw, which is supposed to be a nice positive for him, is, but he's not taking enough of them. Look, here's the thing. And I had somebody in my Twitter mentions say this back to me, and it made me sort of think a second time about it. By the way, I appreciate you guys when you have like constructive, reasonable feedback. I, I I read as much of it as I can. They said, "Look, I believe what I I believe what I've seen over the last forty six games. That's just who he is." Here's why I disagree. After I thought this through, sort of a, like a ninth time, because I went through this one a million times in my head to be like, do I really want to put this out into the world and seem like a complete moron? Yes. Yes, I do. I do want to put this out into the world and sound like a complete moron. Jordan Poole is in straight-up cruise mode right now. His team is terrible. Nobody cares if they win or lose. But he's sort of like staying almost the tiniest bit under the radar lately because he hasn't taken that many shots, and that's all fine. But, like, I don't care how passive he's been. If Kyle Kuzma gets traded, and that's the big one here, if Kyle Kuzma gets traded, Jordan Poole will have no choice but to take probably three, maybe more, additional shots per ballgame. Because Kuzma, right now, is taking the most shots on the team. Highest usage on the club. He's at 19 shots a game and three free throws. And 4.3 assists. Roll that all together. Nobody else in the club is even close. If you drop that just straight back into the pool, the Jordan pool, as it were, and, you know, we've heard the Kings, the Mavs, both linked to Kuzma. Someone would come back to Washington, but it's not anybody that they'd be liable to hold on to. Like, you know, you know, Harrison Barnes coming back from the Kings with a bunch of picks. You think they're just going to play Harrison Barnes out? Doubt it. He wouldn't want to be there. Hell no. He'd opt out in a heartbeat. Not opt out. They'd, he'd ask out. Please try to move me. Whatever you can get in the next, like, 20 minutes, please try. And then, you know, buyout market. Some of these teams, and the buyout market's weird, but I don't want to get into that on the show, but, like, this apron stuff has to do with where guys can go on buyouts. Okay, so I get it. You know, some of that's going to go to Koulibaly or Bagley or whatever. 
but some of it's going to go to Jordan Poole, who's basically not a movable basketball player right now because he's been so bad and he's making a bunch of money. They just He's not tradable unless they attach a ton of assets to him. And I think for a Wizards rebuild, they'd rather just ride it out as opposed to giving up picks to unload a bad contract. They're going to be taking on bad contracts. That's how teams work through rebuilds. You don't think Kyle Kuzma's 19 shots and four assists and three free throws going back into the main puddle wouldn't, I don't even say wake up Jordan Poole, because I don't know that anything is going to wake up Jordan Poole. But he's going to have to do more. He'll just have the ball. They're going to have to have him ending more possessions. And his field goal percent is going to be a train wreck, as if it wasn't already. But I think last night was a perfect example, and Kuzma was in for that ball game, but last night was a perfect example of the day, of the kind of game that a lot of folks thought they were going to get out of pool this year. 21 awful shots, 10 assists, and a couple of steals. Two out of 14 from three-point land in that game. You don't think that that Jordan Poole is still in there somewhere? You don't think that when Kuzma, if if Kuzma gets moved, that Jordan isn't going to be like, all right, my team now. You don't think there's even a chance that that's what happens to his brain? That he just starts seeing green? Boom, boom, boom. Go light. Gun it, Jordan. Hit the gas. See what happens. I think this is a possibility. And, and the reason that I'm going into so much detail on Jordan Poole is that he's so cheap right now. You know, he's number 170. You can get him for anybody with a pulse. I don't think even the people that have Jordan Poole right now are like, well, maybe it's going to get better at the trade deadline. They're almost definitely resigned to the fact of, I can't drop this guy because I spent a top 40-something pick on him. But, like, what if you have Keldon Johnson, who's number 116, but he's generally been awful after the first... Waffle, that was a Brooklynite, since the first five and a half weeks of the year. Or, I don't know, uh, Kelly Oubre Jr., who's going to be good here in the foreseeable future while we wait on Joel Embiid for a month, or month and a half, or whatever it turns out to be. Or Denny Avdia, who's just sort of quietly been kind of fine all year. Or Tim Hardaway Jr., who has all these nice fill-in games, but when that team is healthy, is a wreck. Or P.J. Washington, who's been putting up numbers while LaMelo Ball's been out, but if LaMelo plays, that goes down the toilet. There's got to be someone you could find that the person with Jordan Poole would be like, fine, I'll just take a guy who plays. Jalen Suggs, Max Struess, Dennis Schroeder. These guys don't have upside. Not that Poole has a ton of it, but, I mean, if Jordan Poole comes out and he's just like, all right, it's 20 shots a night, Jordan now then hell yeah. They could jump 100 slots. Or it could be a train wreck, but luckily you didn't have to give up much to get him anyway. This, I believe, on a player that I've wanted nothing to do with, told you to avoid like the plague on draft day, this is the time to go try to cash in. Value is at an absolute lowest point. Is that the zenith? Am I using that? No, I think that's the wrong thing. Is the zenith the top or the bottom? Doesn't matter. It's bottom. Now get him cheap. You only got to do it for a week. Dennis Smith Jr., as we continue to plot along here, this show's going to end up going longer than I had planned, but whatever. I want to I cover it all. Dennis Smith Jr., this one, uh, we know the Nets are trying to move Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, and or Royce O'Neal, and we also know Ben Simmons is just not going to stay healthy the rest of the year. And so if they do happen to move those guys and they don't get anyone back that covers the point guard spot, 
Dennis Smith Jr. is a perfect example of somebody who you might not even need to squat on right now because basically nobody's looking at him, but he's the kind of guy that can go from 200 to top 75 if the right guy gets out of the way. So I would say, and I don't think we need to break down in excruciating detail uh, like what his fantasy game is. I don't know that that's even the point. You guys just kind of have to take my word for it. But like, if you look back at his time in Charlotte, He had a nice stretch early last year where he was a top 75 guy. That was when LaMelo Ball was out for a while, and he was just kind of running offense. Uh, but again, like he needs multiple dudes out of the way in front of him, so you don't need to use a roster spot. But if you're cruising along this week and you see Nets involved in trade, the first thing you should do is get Dennis Smith queued up as a possible ad. Because if Spencer Dinwiddie is out, Dennis Smith Jr. is going to play more, provided they don't end up with someone like you know D'Angelo Russell coming back. Like, if a point guard goes out and a point guard does not come back in, Dennis Smith Jr. is worth a an ad at that point. But I don't think you need to pre-stash him. And I probably should have been clearer about that on some of these other guys. But, like, two or three of the names I've talked about are basically on rosters anyway. So let's keep going. Well, clustering Dennis's on the show right now. The other one is Dennis Schroeder, who uh, is number 115, was a top 50 for the first month. He's been much worse than that since. He's had a couple decent games, not so much the most recent one prior to us doing this show, but the two before that with Emmanuel quickly out. And unfortunately, that's probably what's going to take for Schroeder to, to post value the rest of the way. He needs Bruce Brown to get traded. That's a gimme. He, like, there are way too many guys in Toronto right now. And then he probably also needs Gary Trent to get moved. And he probably needs to not get moved himself. That's a lot of hoops to jump through. Do I think that means you should be holding on to Schroeder right this second? The answer is maybe, if only because with R.J. Barrett out there, should on a night-to-night basis be enough for him to be like a top 125 guy, so that makes him kind of easy to roster for the next five days to see how the trade deadline shakes out. So he's like an active stash where you're like, eh, hey, maybe this gets better, maybe this gets worse. But he's a guy I think who could see his value swing a little bit. I'm not super excited about it. I don't think that his value gets any better than like top 80, even if Bruce Brown and Gary Trent get moved. But he's very much at that point an everyday, all formats kind of guy. And that's why I think, like if he's on a roster right now, I don't think that I'm going and hunting him uh, unless I can get him for somebody who's in that same range who has no real prospects of getting better, if that makes sense. And frankly, it might not have. DeAndre Hunter, this is the example of the guy who uh, goes from being just outside to just inside the cut line, which makes him not super exciting. It also makes him, uh, his injury history makes him kind of a difficult player to roster anyway because he's getting back-to-backs off right now. And so head-to-head, I don't know that you can actually go down this path. But certainly on the Roto side... You know, Hunter's in the 120s right now uh, in about 29 and change minutes per game. Some of that is impacted by uh, diminished minutes in these games returning from injury and blah, blah, blah. This one comes down to DeJounte Murray plus one. So I don't know that DeAndre Hunter posts value if only DeJounte Murray gets traded and Hunter comes in and just has his everyday role back again. I think he's pretty darn close, probably between 100 and 120 in that zone. But look, Sadiq Bey turned an ankle in the last ballgame. So let's say he misses a week or two and DeJounte Murray gets traded. That's enough. What if Bay gets traded also? That's enough. What if DeJounte Murray gets traded and 
I don't know, Bogdan Bogdanovich gets traded. That's all enough. So Hunter is what we've been talking about on the show. We're calling them uh, two-away guys, meaning you need two guys reliably to get out of the path for him to become a an everyday all-formats dude. But I do think that even if only DeJounte Murray gets moved, you're still talking about Hunter as probably startable in most formats. And the downside, of course, becomes the injury history, the rest days, the minutes cap, all the stuff that's going to be a much bigger issue in head-to-head versus Roto. So I like it more as a Roto play because you could just put him on your bench right now and see how the next few days shake out. But also understanding that, you know, unless he goes on a on a sick two-point shooting heater, which he has had a couple of those in his career, uh, this one is one where Hunter probably maxes out at getting to, like, top 80 and that's if a couple of guys get it, get out of the way. So this is like this is like the bunt single of this play. Not usually the spot you use a roster slot for in terms of stashing because the upside is capped. But, you know, there is an okay likelihood that he turns out to be slightly useful. I think fantasy analysts typically refer to this situation as a high-floor, low-ceiling kind of guy, like a narrow band where he'll probably... He's not going to be awful, but he's also not going to be all that great. And he has one of the better chances, I think, of having a small value bump because we know DeJounte Murray is one of the more likely players to get traded at the deadline. I'm putting Patrick Williams on the list. He's one of the new names. We haven't talked about him on... uh, on on these previous shows. Um, and I honestly don't know why we hadn't talked about him on previous shows. Because he's been uh, right on the borderline of startable. I always hurt right this second, so let's try not to hold that against him. But he's been basically right on the borderline of startable with just Zach Levine out. So let's say Levine never comes back, meaning Patrick Williams is basically one more guy away from being an everyday start. Whether that's Caruso, eh, that's less exciting. I would rather it be DeMar DeRozan that also gets moved because then you're talking about a lot of usage getting dropped back in the bucket. The Bulls are not moving Kobe White, so you can't assume, assume something like that's going to happen. They're not moving Io DeSumo. So you're looking at Caruso and DeRozan. And so does that make Patrick Williams kind of a two-away guy just like Io? Yes, I like Io more because I think his fantasy game translates quicker. Patrick Williams is, you might get you a three, a steal, and a block, but he has a lot of trouble doing anything else. At least Asumo, he'll go out there, he'll score, he'll get you some assists. He also gets steals and blocks. His percentages are better than Patrick Williams, even though he's a smaller dude. And Williams is out for another week and a half, so you got that other thing hanging over it. But again, it's the same phenomenon. If Zach Levine and another bull regular get traded at the deadline... Patrick Williams and Iota Sumu both likely become all-format guys. It's just that Io will be better between those two. So that's why we prefer him, and that's why Patrick Williams is much farther down the board. I think this is player 11, although I admit I've kind of lost track of where we're at on the slideshow. Um, no, this is player 10. Jabari Walker is player 10, and I've done a lot of lectures on why I think Jabari Walker is multiple players away. So I'm not going to rehash it too much. Um, I just don't like his fantasy game all that much. Uh, he's 
he's getting minutes right now, and he's just not even remotely close to fantasy values. Number 216 in nine cat in 29 minutes a game, uh, nine points, nine rebounds, and almost nothing else. Low defensive stats, bad percentages, uh, no assists, not many threes. I, I just I don't see the path for him. Because, look, Shaden Sharp is about to come back, so that's going to make life even harder on Walker. Let's say Malcolm Brogdon gets traded. That opens up a little bit of a path. I mean, Jeremy Grant was out for the Blazers in their last game, and Walker still didn't get enough to do because Scoot was better that night. So Jabari might even be a three-away kind of guy unless you are specifically targeting rebounds because he has shown a pretty good knack to grab boards. But you got to be talking real specialist type stuff there because he's hurting more in you know just the percentages really than he the the good he's doing in rebounding on a night to night basis. So you really have to be like, oh, either I don't care about the percentages or they're either locked up or whatever. And you know he doesn't take that many of them, but they're still negatives. And you just be like, look, I'm like six rebounds behind in my head to head matchup. I got to risk one thing to try to win the other. That's where that makes sense. But I don't know how you play that every single day unless Sharp misses way more time and Grant gets traded and Brogdon gets traded. Now it's like, okay, three guys are out of the way. Now he probably puts up numbers, which is similar to what we saw. Remember, there was that one little narrow path early in the year. Simons was out and Grant, I think, had a concussion and Scoot had his thing going on. So three guys were out and Jabari Walker put up a few good ball games. But that's my feeling is that he's not even a two-away. He's a three-away. And then finally, oh wait, two more names. Gary Trent Jr. is the next name. He's uh, kind of in the same bucket for me as Dennis Schroeder, just um, less likely to take a small step forward. Uh, because with Gary Trent, like Schroeder was seeing activity and usage uh, anyway. Trent sort of wasn't. We've seen Trent do more since Toronto uh, swung their deal with Indiana. And, and New York, I guess I should say, both deals. That's been a benefit for Gary Trent. But the only way he's seen enough shots has been when R.J. Barrett or Quickly or both have been out. So much like with Schroeder, and you just have to like rearrange which players you're talking about. When we were talking about Schroeder, I said Bruce Brown and probably also Gary Trent need to get moved. For Trent, it's probably got to be Bruce Brown and Dennis Schroeder that need to get moved because Quickly and Barrett aren't going anywhere. Scotty Barnes isn't going anywhere. Uh, so those are the only three names, Schroeder, Trent Jr., and Brown. Those are the only three guys that you would think have a chance to get moved that are currently playing meaningful minutes. And so it's like, all right, well, do I stash this guy thinking the other two guys are going to get moved? To me, that's too many hoops. It's too many hoops to jump through. If you need two guys to get traded for your dude to see value, that's not a stash. That's a trade deadline, like, heater list. You know, it's smart to have one tab open on your browser that just has, like, basically this list that I've just given you guys. This is 11 of the 12 names. Have the list of these 12 names. If anybody else you want to throw them on there, have at it. And just have that list open on your screen as you're watching our trade deadline live show. And then when the right name pops up, boom, you make the move. But I don't think you need to do anything now. I think that's that's you're getting too far out in front of it. And then the last name on the list is one that I'm mostly just mad about. This I don't think there's any reason to actually stash Azar Thompson going into the trade deadline. 
This, to me, is a player who likely does more at silly season, which is still a month and a half away as opposed to five days away. Uh, but I'm mostly just mad at Detroit because, uh, you know, Isaiah Stewart is out and they're still insisting on starting Kevin Knox. Do I need to say more? Thompson is the future in Detroit. And uh, I don't know, maybe there's something going on behind the scenes. Maybe he's exhausted or, you know, rookie season has worked him out or he and the coach are feuding or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I don't think you need to stash Azar Thompson here. I don't think that something is magically going to change the trade deadline. I mean, maybe the Pistons trade Boyan Bogdanovich. They're finally a little bit more competitive lately. Anyway, yeah, this one is just me venting. I don't even think he needs to be on your board. I almost don't see any path for him in Detroit right now. The fact that they'll play Kevin Knox and Marcus Sasser and all these other guys a bunch of minutes before they just let Thompson figure it out, it's just it's just nuts. And let's get them all on the screen together for you guys in a lovely shade of blue. This is the final board in approximate order of intrigue. Approximate order of intrigue. Anyeko Kongwu, Ayo Desumu, Marvin Bagley, Bilal Koulibaly, Jordan Poole, Dennis Smith Jr., Dennis Schroeder, DeAndre Hunter, Patrick Williams, Jabari Walker, Gary Trent Jr., and Asa Thompson. That's the approximate order of intrigue. Because, look, the first two guys are already rostered. The fifth guy is already rostered. That was Jordan Poole. Um, Bagley and Koulibaly. Bagley in particular... Um, Probably my favorite of the guys that are not particularly well rostered right now. Uh, because, again, he's a one-away kind of guy. Um, Koulibaly is more like a one-and-a-half-away kind of guy. Jordan Poole is a one-away, but he's also mostly rostered. And then you get down into these guys that are either two-away, like Schroeder, Gary Trent Jr., uh, Patrick Williams, DeAndre Hunter, three-aways like Jabari Walker, uh... And Dennis Smith Jr., who it's not entirely clear how many guys need to get out of the way there. Probably two, but maybe more. And now what I'd like to do before wrapping things up, first of all, is remind you guys to check out our buddies over at Manscaped.com. Manscaped, uh, is the, the code over there is Ethos20, Ethos20, 20% off and free shipping on your order over at Manscaped.com. Check them out immediately. Again, a reminder to come follow me over on social media at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, and follow sportsethos.com, Ethos Fantasy BK, and all that good stuff. And, of course, our trade deadline live show coming up Thursday on February the 8th. And now I do quickly want to take a look at the chat room to see if you guys brought up any names that I didn't. Here's a good one. Keontae George. Um, yeah, I didn't put him on my list because I don't think Utah is in maximum sell-off mode. The name I've heard for them is Jordan Clarkson. And getting him out of the way would indeed help George a fair amount. But I don't know if it's quite enough because he's mostly splitting his minutes right now with Chris Dunn. You've still got Colin Sexton there. It would help a little, but I don't think we'd be all the way there. So you probably need two guys out of the way for Keontae. Maybe three even. And I don't know, I don't see the obvious other one for a Jazz team that has cooled considerably over the last two to three weeks. They're back down uh, to the 10 seed tied with the Rockets, trying to get into that last play-in spot, and the Warriors are trying to catch up on them as well. So anything could happen, and the Jazz could fall apart down the stretch. 
But the trade deadline is five days away, so they got to make a call right now. Do we care, or are we going to go into late-season Uber tank again? Where last year they had Mike Conley, they had Jared Vanderbilt, they had a bunch of guys that they could shuffle around and get pieces for. They don't have that many of those guys right now unless they really wanted to pull the plug, and I feel like that would be frustrating for the players. And honestly, how many more assets do they need you know, they're almost at full thunder mode where they just got first-rounders coming out of every orifice on this club. I mean, maybe. Could they move John Collins again? Maybe. Kelly Olynyk is someone that could maybe draw some interest. Kind of a veteran, floor-spacing, passing big man. But does that move the needle on George? I, I don't think so. I also think there's just way too many gaps in his fantasy game. Like, the the... You know, he's he's not even inside the top 200 over the last couple of weeks. If you look at the last month, I don't think he's there either. Yeah, not even inside the top two. Like, he's still so far away, and that's why Keontae George is not on the board. Um, Jaden Hardy with the Mavs trying to get Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. If that's a player that goes the other direction, headed to Washington, he would step into a bunch of shots. Uh, more of a points league target. If you guys have watched how Jaden Hardy's numbers have looked this year, He's had those couple of fill-in games where he's taken a lot of shots, but he's shooting 39% from the field, 70% at the free throw line, and no real defensive stats to talk about. So I just don't like his fantasy game all that much. Cole Anthony, question mark. Uh, I don't know where he goes where he suddenly gets a whole bunch. So, nope, he's not on my list. Wendell Carter Jr.? Hmm. Are we talking about like if Mo Wagner gets traded or Goga Batadze gets traded? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. He's probably, he's mostly rostered already. He's a guy that could go from being like a top 150 to a top 125. That's just not super interesting. But also, again, he's like heavily rostered. So it's just not a guy that I go out and am attacking. But that's why he's not someone that I even really considered for this thing. Um, let's see here. Any other names on the list here? You guys are doing a really nice job of talking through some stuff yourselves. I appreciate when the chat room is its own living, breathing entity. That's fun. I like this nickname. Bilal Just D. Koulibaly. That's where he's at right now. Zach Levine. Not a trade deadline stash, but a trade deadline by low. I've had him on my buy low board earlier this year when he was coming back from his ankle injury, and I looked really smart for like two weeks, and then he got hurt again. <laughs> now I look like a moron. I don't know why Chris is talking about Santi Aldama. Um, he's not on my trade deadline dashboard because he's just playing a lot right now. Um, basically, what I've said about Aldama is what I'll continue to say, is that we need him to be you know, 45, 46% from the field and low 70s at the free throw line. He's 43 and 63 so far this year. But last year, he was 45 and seven, or 47 and 75. And so if that Aldama shows up, then he's going to be awesome down the stretch because he's getting a lot of opportunity. But if it's the 43, 63 Aldama, then he'll be a points league only guy. So I believe Aldama is actually a points league ad regardless with nine-category appeal, should the percentages be last year's instead of this year's? I don't know which one it's going to be because he's a young basketball player, and we sort of don't really know what the reality is going to be. 
Like his last ball game, he took eight shots and six of them were three pointers. So of course his field goal percent was trash. But he rebounds, he passes, he gets steals, and he gets blocks, and he scores, and he hits threes. So it really does all just come down to his percentages. But he's not a guy that was on my dashboard because uh, we're talking about Santi Aldama right now. Sorry, I should have put that on there. Um, because I think he's a guy that should be held right now to see what the next couple weeks look like. Because they're just like seemingly kind of force-feeding him, and Memphis is looking to even get thinner. Dan, would you take the over or under on 13 trade made this season? Well, are we counting the two or three that have already happened? Uh, I'll go under. I haven't seen many creators do this show this year. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, so that's the thing. Like, one of the reasons that I don't think this is getting done a lot this season is because Look at the names on the board right now that we just talked about. Okangu, Desumu, Jordan Poole. These guys are already rostered, so that makes them kind of difficult to call a trade deadline stash. They're more of a trade deadline buy low right now. Marvin Bagley's fantasy game is trash, but if Daniel Gafford gets moved, he makes a flying leap forward. The problem is that it's very hard to justify having Bagley on your team prior to then because he hurts more than he helps right now. Same general story for Koulibaly. Who, uh, again, and a lot of these guys, the other thing is that Kudabli, Dennis Smith Jr., Dennis Schroeder, Gary Trent Jr., DeAndre Hunter, Patrick Williams, Jabari Walker, all like seven of the guys that we talked about today need at least two things to happen for them to be guaranteed value. In my opinion, Okangu, Dasumu, Bagley, and Poole are the four names out of 12 we talked about today that only need one thing to happen. For them to see a value shift. For Poole, it's Kuzma. For Bagley, it's Gafford. For Desunmo, I guess it's two things, actually. Uh, but right now, it's assuming Zach Levine doesn't play another game for the Bulls, it's someone else gets moved. And then Okongwu, it's Capella. And that's probably why there isn't that much content about this out there, is because, you know, 8, 67% or more of the names that people are talking about right now need at least two things to break right for those players to have value. And that's unlikely. That's like a 5%, 10% type of chance or less. And of the four names that only need one thing, three of them are probably rostered already. It's hard to buy low trade deadline stash. And so that's why we're talking about one guy left who's probably a free agent or possibly one that only needs one thing to happen for him to be maybe playable. And that's Marvin Bagley. So rather than do a, an hour-long show, which I just did, people probably were just like, you know what, I could just like type the only guy left is Marvin Bagley. <laughs> and that's like it. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's other things that are going to pop up and, you know, weird things always happen at the trade deadline and even weirder things happen in March and we'll, uh, we'll attack them when we get there. But thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for paying attention no matter how you take in this content. I uh, hope this one, this wraps up our trade deadline discussion uh, as far as YouTube is concerned. I'm sure we'll bring it up sort of in passing on shows over the next few days. I uh, hope you guys have a really lovely Saturday, Sunday, whatever. And, you know, I'll be back with you on Monday at the absolute latest. If magic happens, I might be able to do a weekly preview kind of show tomorrow. We'll see. No promises on that front. But uh, we'll obviously continue to do things over on the social side. Again, that's at D-A-N 
B-E-S-B-R-I-S, or just Google search Dan from Sports Ethos Twitter, and it'll pop up that way as well. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, make sure to please go navigate over, hit that like button on the Trade Deadline Show, follow Sports Ethos in all of its facets, and come hang with us on the free Discord. Forgot to put that in there. That's a fun one. That is also in the show description. You guys threw some more names at me, but uh, we'll deal with those another time. Oh, Andre Drummond threw into the names. Um, I don't think Vooch is getting moved, but obviously, yes, that would be that would be one of note. I, I just don't think Vooch is, is getting dealt. There's, there's too much left on his contract, and people are seeing that he's actually kind of slowing a little bit, uh, and that's why. What is there a lightning round of a couple names here? Amon Thompson in Houston. Like him a lot. Don't think that's happening unless Houston starts to go into a, a losing spiral. Uh, Trey Mann, I don't see it happening. Thunder, if anything, will be moving guys to get more dudes in that can take shots and be impact guys. So uh, I'm not fully on that one. Um, unless something magical happens down the stretch where they're just like, oh, yeah, you now. But I don't, I don't think that happens without some other reason. Why isn't Denny Avdia on the list? Oh, you know what? That's a good question. I think it's mostly because he's rostered already. Um, also, he's a candidate to get traded, so I feel like there's almost like a 50-50 shot he gets better or way worse. But it's a good point. You could throw Avdia on there if he's a free agent. You could throw him on there. Yeah, good call. Good call, Tang. Um, Avdia makes sense. as kind of like a, like a fringy one. Um... Let's see, what do we got here? And uh, I think that's it. Giannis says, Shalom. Hello. Um, and Josh Giddy, question mark? I don't know why his role would change all that much. No, I don't. I don't. Unless they, I guess they could trade him away. Is that the thought? They send Giddy and Trey Mann somewhere for like a more reputable player? Uh. I don't think they're going to trade Giddy right now. I feel like his value is low. But I guess I could be surprised. Um, he's rostered, so that makes Giddy a tough one. He's generally on rosters right now. So uh, not a guy that I'm targeting with one of these sort of deadline by low type of ideas. I get where you're coming from, but it ain't for me. And that's the end of that chapter. Thanks, everybody. This was a blast. We went longer than expected, but whatever. We were talking basketball, so what could go wrong? Have a great Saturday. I will see you either tomorrow or Monday here on uh, the pod, and I'll see you guys on social in the next seven minutes. Later. Later.